massive chart pack for you guys today. 27 charts, Bitcoin going on an absolute tear, stocks at all-time highs, the economy, price action, and some candlesticks for you price action junkies out there. And finally, Bitcoin realized price and what is going on within Bitcoin's market. Welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. I'm Nick Batia. Let's get right into this chart pack. It's March 1st, 2024, and we have almost wrapped up trading here for the week. Now, we recently published a video at the Bitcoin layer about debt monetization. It is one of the grand theses that we have at the Bitcoin layer. We believe the Fed will step in to the treasury market, purchase assets at a large scale, and eventually grow its balance sheet by several trillion dollars. And so in that thesis, we believe Bitcoin stands to benefit. I want to show you a couple quick charts bringing back what we talked about in that last video. Make sure to go check that out. And don't forget to subscribe to our research letter at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe. Okay, in this first chart, we are looking at the Fed's balance sheet. The size of the Fed's total portfolio holdings is below $7 trillion for the first time in a few years. And we see that the size of the Treasury holdings at the Fed have fallen below $4 trillion. And this is something that we are watching very closely as the size of the Treasury debt is increasing. Here you see on the next chart that the size of tr total Treasury debt here is above 34 trillion, while the size of the Fed's holdings of treasuries has fallen to below 4 trillion. And this enormous gap is something that concerns us. It's something that we're watching, and it's something we absolutely do not believe is sustainable. And that's the key. While it is impossible to predict when the Fed exactly is going to come back into this market, we do view it as an inevitability. At the very minimum, the Fed is going to need to purchase more treasuries in order to expand its balance sheet to keep up with the size of the economy. But that is, again, at the very minimum. At the most, they're going to need to come in and in a huge way to provide liquidity for a market that is lacking. So right now, the market is doing just fine and really across asset classes. That is part of what we are going to talk about today, but it is important to keep the big picture in mind and this chart helps us do that. Get up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you sign up with River at river.com slash TBL. River is our Bitcoin exchange of choice and we love River for two main reasons. Number one, they're Bitcoin only. That means there's no confusion when you go there. And number two, this is really important. River does not use a third-party custodian for Bitcoin storage. That means when you buy Bitcoin with River, that Bitcoin is being held in a multi-signature storage solution by River itself, not by any custodian that might default or lose your coins. Check them out today at river.com TBL for that special offer. Okay, this next chart is the Fed's reverse repo facility, something that we have talked about a lot. This is a facility in which investors can come in and park cash at the Fed in a risk-free environment. 
This is an alternative to other forms of short-term money markets, such as treasury bills and repo secured by treasury collateral. So money market funds are coming in and they are parking this cash at the Fed instead of using it to buy bills or to finance treasury purchases at primary dealers. We believe that this facility will continue to dwindle down as the number of T-bills that hits the market is large enough to increase the spread relative to this facility. Said in another way, as long as T-bills are in the market and have a higher yield than this reverse repo facility, it makes sense for investors to go and lock in that treasury bill yield instead of parking their cash overnight at the Fed. Now this facility is, the usage has fallen to about 440 billion, but we know that it is important not to look at RRP in isolation. We must look at it in conjunction with other components of the Fed's balance sheet. The orange line here is reserves, and that number, the number of reserve balances in the system, is holding very steady. And so that decline that we showed you of the Fed's security holdings falling below $7 trillion is corresponding with a decline in the reverse repo facility, not in reserves. Now, you guys know this is something that we will continue to watch. The reason that we're bringing it up today is that reverse repo was in the headlines for a large decline that will continue to go down as bills hit the market, treasuries hit the market, and primary dealers are looking for financing from money market funds and must offer a more attractive yield than is offered by the Fed at the reverse repo facility. Now, what is going on in broader financial markets? Bottom line, they are on fire. Risk markets are on fire. Stocks are at all-time highs. The S&P is at an all-time high. The NASDAQ just reached an all-time high. Corporate bond markets are on absolute fire. I have an anecdotal statistic for you. Actually, two anecdotal statistics from the corporate bond market and issuance, and then one metric. So let's talk about the metric first here on the chart. This is corporate bond spreads. Spreads are the difference between the yield on corporate bonds and the yield on the same maturity treasury. So for example, an Amazon 10-year bond yields 6%, a treasury yields 4.5%, and that spread would be 1.5% or 150 basis points. That's just an example here. Now, showing you this chart of 1.54, that means that on average, corporate bond yields are about 1.5% higher than treasury yields. Now, as you can see, that number got to 7% in the great financial crisis in 2009, and it got to almost 5% during... 2020. So a level of one and a half percent spreads here, as you can see, is historically extremely, extremely low. What does this mean? It means that the demand for credit or the demand to lend money to corporations relative to the demand to lend money to the U.S. government 
is extremely high. It means the appetite for risk is extremely high. Does this smell of a financial crisis or a recession? Absolutely not. We are going to talk about our view on a recession. And it is an updated view, but we want to revisit that. We will do that with some economic charts here coming up shortly. But I want to show you this chart to show you that corporate bond market is doing extremely well. Now, what are these two anecdotal pieces that I have for you. They're not necessarily anecdotal because they are financial in nature. I'm talking about the issuance in both the investment grade IG market and the high yield market. So in the IG market, which is what we are looking at here, we're looking at a corporate bond spread here of an investment grade index. Now, what is happening in investment-grade issuance? Through the first two months of the year, January and February, you had a record two months of issuance. Now, this is outside one year during the post-pandemic financial bailouts from central banks across the world in which rates were brought down essentially all the way to zero and almost every single investment grade corporation rolled their debt forward by many years and taking advantage of those extremely low treasury yields. Now, the number that we just received here is that the record issuance from the corporate bond market in investment grade world is something that really screams of easy financial conditions not tight financial conditions. And that is something that the Fed is definitely looking at. When the Fed is thinking about when it needs to cut rates, it's looking at corporate bond spreads near record lows and corporate bond issuance at essentially at a record high. It views financial markets as working extremely well and healthy and will push back any imminent rate cuts. And that's really what is happening right now. We will show you the updated view of what is going on in Fed pricing as well. Speaking of financial conditions, this is the Chicago Fed's Financial Conditions Index that we have updated you guys on several times. We're bringing it back here. You can see the red line is when financial conditions really start to get tight. And as this Line, this black line approaches that zero line, it is a sign of financial stress. We saw financial stress in the early half of 2022 as yields were rising extremely rapidly. However, of late, financial conditions have eased quite a bit. Now, I want to go quickly to the next chart because what we have here is the same, uh, the same index the Chicago Fed's Financial Conditions Index, but I've manipulated the data to show you a one-week rate of change. Now, look at the... Let's look back at the chart one more time here on financial conditions. You can see that this black line has been decreasing, meaning financial conditions have been getting easier, 
But what do you see if you look really, really closely at today? That line is sort of flattening out here. And so to the next chart where we're looking at the rate of change, that's why this line now has approach zero. Here in green is the rate of change. It's approach zero. That's because the slope of our financial conditions has reached zero. It has stopped declining. And so does that mean that we are in for an, uh, a period of extreme financial stress? No, but financial conditions cannot tighten until they stop easing. And so that's what we have actually seen. Financial conditions have stopped easing and are now borderline going to tightening. So something we will continue to watch very, very closely. Okay, one chart here on the yield curve. Now, this is a question from a viewer. The viewer asked me about the twos tens yield curve and how persistent this inversion has been and what it means for a future recession. Now you see recessions are the shaded areas and on the bottom pane you have the number of days, number of consecutive days with an inverted yield curve. So in the 80s we had this inverted yield curve, very inverted yield curve happen twice and both times it was followed by a recession. You had a similar inversion of the yield curve, persistent one, before the dot-com crash. And look again closely here that the recession doesn't start until after the curve has uninverted. And that is something that we should remember here. We still have an inverted yield curve. So once the curve uninverts, then the recession watch actually starts. And when will this curve uninvert? It is when cuts start to get realized in the market. And as we have talked about and shown you guys here, financial markets are not suggesting that conditions are weakening in the economy. And so we will show you some economic metrics here. But when thinking about the recession and the timing of the recession, if the curve hasn't uninverted yet, it means that the cuts are not imminent. If the cuts are not imminent, the recession is not imminent. And that is the way that we should be thinking about this. This does not mean that we don't believe a recession is coming. We do, and the data suggests that it just hasn't materialized yet. But the inversion of the yield curve, the persistent inversion of the yield curve, is our evidence that one is coming. It just looks like it's taking a lot longer for this curve to uninvert. And that is because it's taking a lot longer for the tight financial conditions of a high policy rate to filter in through the rest of the economy. And maybe there are just several other factors right now that are weighing much more heavily on financial markets and the economy than a five and one third percent federal funds rate. Now let's look at the economy. So markets have been on fire, we know that. Is that matching what is going on in the data? And it's a little bit of a mixed answer, but there is plenty of data to show us why we have been doing so well across the risk markets. The first chart is ISM manufacturing. You guys know this is essentially the holy grail of economic data for us. 
It is the best standing metric that we have going back to tell us about the U.S. economy. It goes back to the 40s, giving us decades and decades of data and data to compare to. Now, the March 1st data that hit the tape this morning was not very good and a little bit weaker than what we have been seeing over the past few months, which has been some modest recovery in ISM manufacturing. And that modest recovery has lined up with equity returns very, very well. We will show you a chart on that here shortly. Now, before we look a little bit more at manufacturing versus other economic metrics, let's dive a little bit deeper into the ISM data and pull out prices paid. So this is the orange line, and we overlay that with CPI in the black line. And you can see that these two numbers track, but more importantly, that CPI is lagging to where ISM prices are. And that's because CPI is a consumer price index, and ISM manufacturing is a business manufacturing sector survey to show us what the input prices are for these firms. And these firms are telling us that prices are ticking up. And that is this blue arrow that we see here. Prices have been ticking up for over a year in manufacturing. They're coming off low levels, but they have been increasing for a year. So CPI stabilizing around three and holding there is in context with what we are seeing in prices paid manufacturing. It does not suggest that we are in for a really large decline in CPI, meaning CPI falling below 2%. This data does not suggest it. And again, this is one data point, and we'll have to keep watching. One chart that we really like is our TBL economic cycle wayfinder. And we use this to compare ISM manufacturing to other economic metrics that we find very high signal. This includes the University of Michigan consumer sentiment. It includes the NFIB small business optimism index. And it also includes existing home sales. Now, what can you see here? Looking at the green line, this University of Michigan consumer sentiment it has led the charge higher over the last year and a half of all these metrics. Consumers are feeling decent according to this survey. And that survey led a bounce in other metrics such as ISM, which is still here in orange. The existing home sales, which have started to tick up a little bit, that's there in purple. And in the silver line, the small business optimism index, which did start to level off in 2023. But again, none of these metrics are really jumping. The consumer sentiment has been the best performing one, but has ticked down a little bit in the last couple uh, weeks here. But what we are seeing here in the economy is much more flatlining than robust growth. And I think that that is important for us to take away that while stocks are off to the races, it doesn't necessarily mean that the economy is back off to the races. The economy is not in recession. We can certainly say that. We can also say that 
we were overestimating the impact of what these five and one third percent policy rates would have on the broader economy. Clearly, we have seen delinquencies rise. This is a chart that we have showed you recently. Now, as delinquencies rise, it is telling us something about the economic cycle. Are the delinquencies rising because policy rates have gone up so much or because the indebtedness has caught up with those borrowers? It's difficult to tell, but it is our understanding that higher policy rates are tightening and will affect borrowers and the aggregate economy at large. However, the impact of policy rates where they are has clearly not led to a recession and something that, frankly, we just have been overestimating in terms of that impact. Now, we still believe that the aggregate tightening and the business cycle dictate we head into a recession. So we will just have to continue to watch the data to tell us. But you don't see any of the numbers in our economic cycle wayfinder crashing and falling rapidly right now. They're all stabilizing. It's something important to look for. Now, we are going to get into a few of the regional metrics on the economy, but let's start with the Chicago PMI here and overlay that with our ISM manufacturing. This Chicago PMI, it really is a great data series. And if you saw what happened a few months ago with the huge spike, it did portend to a lot of strength in equity markets and corporate bond markets. And so something not to take lightly, but the recent print, which just happened this week, showed a level back into contraction territory. And so we look at the orange line again, our ISA manufacturing, we compare it with Chicago PMI, and Chicago PMI all of a sudden is showing some more weakness back here into the economy. Now, this is one that you guys have been waiting for. This is the ISM manufacturing, the same data series we've been talking about here for the last several minutes, against year-over-year S&P returns. And what do you see? 30% gains for the S&P. This is on the left-hand side of your Y-axis on the screen. And the left-hand side here uh, on the Y-axis is your year-over-year -year change on the S&P 500. The S&P is having an incredible trailing 12 months. And we see that manufacturing and equity returns have a strong relationship. I've only shown you the last five years here, but when you zoom out, it really does have a strong relationship. And what we've seen is that as ISM has stabilized, stocks have ripped. And this is something that Let's just say here that as ISM recovered, and by recovered, I mean, you know, tracked back toward 50, but not necessarily in this grand expansion territory, it really reversed the bearishness in risk markets. And you see, you see really here that as the ISM manufacturing stopped going down at the beginning of 2023, that is when you really saw stocks get off to the races. On the other side of that, what does it mean? It means that if ISM manufacturing isn't actually going back above 50, 
and tracking back into expansion territory, is the move in stocks overdone? Potentially, potentially it is, but fading the stock market here is something that has clearly punished a lot of investors. And so right now, you're definitely in this chase phase where managers are underweight stocks and have clearly been so for a long time and are chasing these returns and chasing the stock market higher. What else could be impacting the stock market? Well, there might be a change in party in January of 2025. We might find that out in November 2024. Are stocks pricing in a political change in the United States? Potentially. Are stocks pricing in the no landing scenario in which high nominal GDP because of high fiscal deficits doesn't allow us to get into a recession? Possibly. And so while we believe that the equity market will eventually track closely with ISM manufacturing, we will still need to see how the economy plays out to see if these returns are indeed warranted. What is another way of saying that? If ISM manufacturing does well, gets back into an above 50 territory, stocks can go on for as long as they please. If ISM manufacturing declines and actually shows that we are going into a recession, you will see stocks catch down. So that's why it is so important to watch economic data and not just all the data series that hit, but the high signal ones. And you can rely on us at the Bitcoin layer to help you do that. That's our goal is to be here as a resource for education, research, and analysis on global macroeconomics and financial markets. So definitely make sure to subscribe to our free research publication at the Bitcoin layer dot com slash subscribe we publish a free research letter every weekend one last regional chart here this is regional fed surveys from across the country what are we seeing over the last five years you see the large dip of course in 2020 with the shutdown of the economy a huge recovery a fade in 2022 and a stabilization in 2023 and even a bounce here in early 2024. So this is something that we will continue to watch. We have to watch a lot of economic metrics so that we can essentially piece together the picture from around global macro. Now, one last economic chart here before we take a look at the Fed and then we move to the candlesticks. We are looking here at residential real estate prices. I've put two indices on the screen here. One is the Federal Housing Financing Agency. That's the FHFA. And that is in purple. And then in an, in orange here, you have the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. What do we see? Home prices rising at about 5% year over year on a nationwide basis. This does not tell us that we are in some housing residential crash right now. I know we have talked a lot about potentially an Airbnb bubble, potential weakness in residential real estate due to 7% mortgage rates. But the data is clear. We had a 
big dip in 2023 on the Case-Shiller in which we were actually looking at a year-over-year decline in home prices that has reversed quickly. And both of these indices here above 5% showing residential real estate in very decent shape. Now to the Fed curve, let's see where cuts are priced in. We can see the slope of the curve, of course, still negative, implying that cuts are the path of least resistance for the Fed. No hikes priced into the market. It's still important to mention, but the timing has definitely moved back. So we have said here at the Bitcoin layer, we expect the Fed to be cutting rates by June. The market here is showing us that the first cut is priced in about July. And so that's why you see these orange bars far fall below 5.25 on the left-hand side of your y-axis and minus one on the right-hand side. It means that that's one cut priced into the market. When do we get four cuts priced in or 1% in the policy rate? Early 2025. Now, that is the shape of the policy curve as of today, but there's something interesting I want to mention to you guys. It's something that I teach my students, and this is probability distributions. When investors are looking at the market and they're trying to understand where policy rates are going to be, does this mean that policy rates are expected to be 1% lower in 12 months? by the entire market? No. It actually means that there's a percentage of people that think there will be no action and a percentage of people that thinks there will be some action. Now, one interesting view here is that three quarters of the market just simply doesn't expect anything to happen, while a quarter of the market is expecting a financial crisis and the Fed to have to slash rates by three or four percent. And the sum of those two probabilities get you to a 1% cut over the next year. And so that's one way to think about the shape of this curve. It's not exactly what will happen. It's what some investors plus other investors think will happen. And that is summed and aggregated here into this policy rate curve. All right, you've been waiting for the candlesticks. Let's get into some price action. I have only weekly candles for you guys. What is the goal here with candlesticks? The goal is to look at prices and let the prices tell us the story of buyers and sellers. We're going to try to strip out all the narratives. We've talked about global macro. We've talked about the Fed's balance sheet, what the Fed's balance sheet is doing right now, the expectation of debt monetization and why that has sent Bitcoin pumping. We are looking at a lot of components here across markets and global macro One of them is raw price action. And in that raw price action, we are able to give the picture its own story without any news headlines. So let's do that here. The reason I do that is that as a researcher and not a trader, I'm not looking to get in and out of positions or tell you guys at home to buy or sell assets on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. My goal is to help you in your own asset allocation as you do your own investment research to give you a sense of cycle, context, buyer behavior, seller behavior, 
and what is going on over a medium to longer term instead of trying to find what is the exact position to be in today or this week. So my goal here is to keep some of these lines that I've drawn on the chart for as many months as I can so that if we do need to change the thesis, it's a big deal. And I make an episode about, hey guys, remember that rounding top line that I had on the two-year yield for the last several months? Well, we've either realized it and we don't need it anymore, or it has this thesis is now nullified. We've broken out to the upside. The Fed is cutting again. You see here why it's important for the practice itself of the research to hold ourselves accountable and not just delete lines and redraw them to make the episode better, but for our own practice and as researchers, okay? So it was our estimate, it was my estimate around October that we would get this rounding top over the course of 2024 in two-year treasury yields, And that would be due to the Fed coming in and being forced to cut rates at some point during the year. We believe that that is still the case. And we did have a little bit of a pump in two-year yields. They reached four and three quarters here in the last several trading sessions. But this week saw a large decline. A lot of that came today after ISM manufacturing printed below expectations. So we are not alone in using ISM manufacturing as one of the highest signal economic metrics. Other interest rate traders are doing that. And we can see the latest candle red and a large one showing that the recent move higher in two-year yields could be done. But again, that's almost a little too zoomed in. This important line is this rounding top on two-year yields. As long as the rounding top holds, it means that the Fed's hiking cycle is over and we're going into cuts. And cuts usually come in either a very bad economic situation or a financial crisis. That's the only time we really see cuts over the last 15 years. So if that's the only time we've seen cuts, then we should be associating the two in our minds. And again, this portion of the episode is the price action episode. What we use is the price action to then draw our own narrative. So the prices tell us that buying is emerging above 5% consistently on two-year yields. With the policy rate at five and one-third percent, it suggests that the policy rate is too high and that there is value buying and locking in your money with treasuries for a two-year time horizon, even though you're not getting as much as the Fed is offering in its reverse repo facility, which is the policy rate. So we will watch two-year yields. We will watch them stabilize and track lower as this idea that cuts will be materialized continues to play into the market. But what did you see to start the year? Yields went up a lot because there were too many cuts priced into the market. And that was something that we talked about, that the move is probably overdone. I believe fair value on the entire curve is somewhere around 3.5%. 
But that's my own probability distribution of a 50% chance of a financial crisis and them having to cut rates by 4% and a 50% chance of things just muddling along as they did in the past several months with the economy doing okay and risk markets doing pretty decent. So 3.5% or so, that is my expectation over the next several months. And so that would mean there is some room to fall on two-year yields as well as 10-year yields. But right now, what we see with twos at 4.5%, they feel like a little bit of in the middle of the range and potentially they feel like they are at the right place. And so a move up above 5% would completely nullify what we're talking about. It would nullify this rounding top. And a, a two-year yield staying here at around 4.5%, even for the next few months, would be completely in context. The next chart, 10-year yields. Now, you see this increasing trend line here. That was the bear market in treasuries as yields were rising and prices were falling during 2022 and 2023 as yields hit 5%, then a big, big rally in treasuries to close out the year. That's the yield falling below the trend line. And then yields here, and this circle here is unchanged against something I had on the chart in the last several weeks. It was an expectation that Tens could potentially trade back up to four and a third percent where they were at the end of 2022, that pivot point. And they tagged it perfectly. You can see the candle from last week tag the four and a third percent on tens. And then another red candle as yields fell this week. And a lot of that came again after ISM manufacturing this morning here, Friday, March 1st. Where do we believe that 10-year yield should be? Well, if they're going to be at 3.5% over the next year or two, and that's where we believe they're going, them hanging around 4%, feels like a little bit of fair value. So until the curve uninverts, which means the two-year yield falling below the 10-year yield, until that happens, we won't really see any fireworks here in treasuries. That's our expectation. But when two-year yields fall below 10-year yields, that will be because the cuts are arriving, and that will because be because the shit is hitting the fan or something is going down. So that is what we are going to continue to watch here in treasury yields. Let's go to the next chart. And you guys are familiar with this one. This is the S&P 500. And if you can believe it, these are weekly candles. What a run. I mean, it is it is a blinding move higher. And this line I had at 48.14, around 4,800, I've had that line on the chart for a couple years, to be honest. And we saw some congestion for about three weeks during the end of 2023. That's it. And then once you broke that, it's off to the races. And that's why these levels matter. 
because the behavior of the buyers seeing the breakout of 4800 it's it's an all-in sort of trading strategy at that point for leveraged shops they come in they see the breakout and and they just buy 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 and that's what's happening right now in the stock market it's essentially a capitulation from those that weren't long enough and then leverage longs coming in. And so that's when a market can get uh, a little bit long in the tooth. It can get a little bit overheated. We're not really looking into the speculative positioning here in stocks or trying to look at the internals of the market because we're not stock analysts. What we are trying to do here is just identify the breakout and what is going on in risk behavior. And it really does match what's going on in corporate bonds, corporate bond issuance. And I just realized that I completely forgot to mention the high yield anecdote that we were talking about when we were talking about the corporate bond. So I we don't have to bring back the corporate bond chart here, but I want to talk about high yield issuance and relate that with the stock market chart that you have here on your screen. The anecdote from the high yield market is that this huge maturity wall that we were going to hit in 2025 due to five-year debt being taken out during 2020, a massive portion of that debt that was coming due in 2025 was just rolled forward in the last several weeks in the high yield issuance market. Now, what does that mean? Over the last several years, the high yield market has been slow to pick up. It hasn't been that active. That is because with yields this high, you are seeing companies have a tough time affording yields that are double digits on a high yield bond. Now with spreads declining across corporate bonds and treasury yields falling below 5%, what you see now is an appetite for high yield borrowers to tap the market. And because of this dynamic with stocks and general risk taking, you see the high yield borrowers come to the market, issue bonds and extend their debt now for five years from today. So in 2029, nothing to worry about from a default perspective because they now have the cash to pay all their bills for the next few years. And so that is the second anecdote that I wanted to say. The first was the IG market being at record issuance. And the second was the high yield market allowing a major percentage of high yield borrowers to kick out their maturity from next year to 2029 or even later. So that means that potential defaults that we were worried about over the next couple of years, some of them officially won't happen now. It doesn't mean that those bonds will trade at par or that credit spreads can't widen or that companies that didn't roll their debt can default. All of that can still happen. We're just telling you that risk markets are currently on fire. And there's nothing that you can say to really argue that. Now, are these markets getting overheated? Those are metrics that we will have to watch for. And again, think back to the financial conditions index and that slope finally declining or the slope going from negative to now zero. 
as financial conditions might be back to a more tightening bias. But again, it's not very tight and it's not anything that is causing worry in risk markets very clearly. Bitcoin, what an amazing week of Bitcoin price action. Essentially the largest nominal increase ever for a weekly candle in Bitcoin. And what we see here is that Bitcoin is now only a few thousand dollars away from its all-time high. Massive buying in ETFs. These ETF managers are tucking away thousands of Bitcoin, it feels like, every hour. And those Bitcoin getting sent to cold storage at the ETF manager's chosen vaults is sending Bitcoin's realized price rapidly, rapidly higher. We have two charts on that at the end that I want to show you guys. Make sure you stick around for those. But what is going on in Bitcoin right now? It is really uh, two dynamics because we think about what we were speculating last year with Bitcoin's market that we would have the having ETF approval and rate cuts all come in at the same time making us unable to see the driver of Bitcoin's market appreciation. But we can see that that is much more clear for us today because the halving is still not with us. Rate cuts are clearly getting pushed out as we have talked about for the last several minutes here together. So the ETF buying has to be the main driver. And when we think about the amount of coins that are being tucked away by these ETF managers, we would agree with that. Now, what is the second driver? It is treasury debt, in our opinion. The treasury debt going up above $34 trillion while quantitative tightening continues at the Fed and the Fed's treasury holdings continue to mature. These are two dynamics that are going to conflict in the future. One of our favorite memes on financial Twitter is this idea of tell us what will break, tell us what will break. And yes, we are looking at the treasury debt stock and the Fed's holding of those treasuries and that mismatch to be one of the things that will cause problems. Now, what is the second order effect of a huge gap in treasury issuance and treasury holdings by the Fed. The second order effect is that primary dealers will be forced to stuff that inventory on their balance sheets. The third order effect is that inventory must be financed from the money markets. The fourth order effect is that that financing that goes to primary dealers to buy their to, that they use to finance their treasury purchases those money market funds come away from something else. So somebody is going to be without funding. And that is the game of musical chairs that Michael Howell talks about with liquidity. There are assets in the system that need to be funded with repo, with deposits, with money market fund shares. And that funding is finite unless you are a central bank. And the central bank is what we expect to come into the market. Again, a reminder, go check out that video that we did about $100,000 Bitcoin 
as the debt gets monetized. I think that we really put forth a complete chart pack to give you that thesis on why Bitcoin is performing so well right now in addition to the dynamic that we have with ETFs. A quick look at the Ethereum BTC cross. What does this tell us? This tells us the relative price of these two coins. And as this number goes up, it means that Ethereum relative to Bitcoin is trading well as the number goes down, vice versa. Now, the reason that we bring this chart up from the last few years is to show you that when there is exuberance in the market, we usually see this rate increase as people are trying to look for the next Bitcoin. Lately, though, we haven't seen that type of energy, and it gives us a little bit of solace, I would say, in that we are still very early in this bull market. If this ratio was going up in that the price of Ethereum relative to Bitcoin was going up, it would be something that tells us there is some speculative energy back in the market, and we just don't really get that sense from this chart. What else is going on in risk? This is a weekly chart of the Russell 2000, the small cap index. Now I have a line here at 204 that has been more or less the support here for the last two years on the Russell. And what's going on? A breakout. So more of the same going on in risk. A lot of capitulation, we believe. People that have not been participating in these markets out of a cautionary stance due to potential recession on the horizon, they might be capitulating and coming back into the market. The next chart is crude oil. Now crude is showing some life in 2024, but looking at the longer term trend, it is now finally up against that level of declining resistance. So again, to the pure behavior side of things, we see a weakening global economy in this chart here over the last couple years. As prices were above $125 at the beginning of 2022, they are now below $85. Again, some life in the oil chart, but really at a key level. And so we will want to watch what happens to crude at around this $85 level. If it breaks out above, that would be bullish for the economy. It would be a sign that the economy, globally speaking, is doing well. If it fails, vice versa. So something that we're going to look at. And again, one price doesn't tell us the story. Just because oil's going up doesn't mean everything is great again, or just because oil is crashing doesn't mean everything is bad again. But oil is an important price to watch because it does give us some signal. Here is a chart of the Chinese yuan. Now, the Chinese yuan went through an intense deval during 2022 off of a, really a slowing global economy. But what we saw in 2023 was a rejection of that level, meaning that the Chinese currency strengthened a little bit toward the end of last year instead of going into another devaluation period. Now, the devaluation is the danger. This is something that we will watch. So this 7.3, 7.4 area, if it gives way, what it means is that China 
is out of levers. Right now, China's economy is not doing great. We know about the property sector woes. We also know about what has been going on in the stock market. But if China is able to spur its economy on by some sort of interest rate cuts, reserve requirement cuts, other stimulative uh, measures that they can do from a legal perspective or even some minor spending, these will allow China to extend its runway for not devaluing the Chinese one. So that's what I mean by it's their last lever. They don't want to devalue their currency in the global market, but they might have to if the other measures stop working. So right now, we are seeing those other measures being tried. China is cutting rates, and China's cutting rates because their, their economy is weak. So what will happen to the Chinese one, we'll have to watch and see. We are not China experts, so we will have to continue to be doing our China research, bring on China experts, and try to understand what is going on in the economy there. The last chart I want to show you on the candlestick front here, and then we'll we're going to close with a couple Bitcoin charts here is gold, gold breaking out and showing some strength. And what we see here is that gold might be telling us a similar story to what we've been telling you guys about debt monetization potentially on the way. So something to watch here for sure with gold. Now, I promised you guys some extremely high signal Bitcoin charts here to close. So here they are. We have talked about the concept of realized price many times at the Bitcoin layer. A reminder to go subscribe to our research publication at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe. And in our latest post that we sent out to our loyal subscribers, we get into a little bit more on realized price and what it means. The quick summary is that realized price is a metric that uses market prices and movement of Bitcoin on chain, meaning when Bitcoin is being sent over the Bitcoin protocol, not when Bitcoin is being traded on an exchange. We use the price to tell us how much realized value or stored value is in the Bitcoin that is moved on chain. In this way, we are able to get a cost basis of sorts for Bitcoin. Now, what are we seeing with Bitcoin's realized price? It is taking off and it is about to spike through its all-time high. It is heading above $25,000 and much higher. Why is this happening? Because you have these new large participants, these ETF managers, buying Bitcoin on the open market, sending that Bitcoin to cold storage, custodied vaults, and when that Bitcoin moves from the exchanges to the vaults of the ETF managers, that is an on-chain transaction. And those on-chain on transactions are being realized in the market at prices at fifty dollars and $60,000. It is sending the aggregate cost basis of the network higher. And what you see right now is Bitcoin's realized price about to break out to all-time highs. 
Looking closer at the numbers though, what we see is that the one month change on realized price is now above 6%, an area we haven't been in from a bull market perspective since 2020. And that is giving us a big red flashing signal of bull market for you guys. Bitcoin is on the move. The realized price increasing at this rate is telling us that Bitcoin is moving, not just being speculated on the exchange. And in that way, we are able to get a lot of signal. Again, we have a lot of. A closer look at MVRV, the ratio of Bitcoin's market price relative to its realized price in our latest post. So definitely make sure to go check that out. Thank you guys for sticking with us for a long episode at the Bitcoin layer today. A huge chart pack. We hope you guys will give us your comments and thoughts. Subscribe to our free research publication at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe. And we'll catch you next time. The Bitcoin Layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free. Now, River is an amazing Bitcoin-only exchange that offers Lightning Network withdrawals and deposits. They offer zero-fee recurring orders and a really cool new feature that allows you to text Bitcoin to your friends and family. Go check them out, river.com slash TBL.